Beloved, who is it that is watching over your soul? Who is keeping watch over your eternal soul? Do you have such a person? Do you consider that you might need one? That that might be something that God intends for you? The scriptures assume, I would argue, that none of us fundamentally watches over our own souls. But that responsibility is entrusted to someone else, someone set apart for that task in particular. And in particular, scriptures, I believe, teach that God has always, from the birth of the people of God at Sinai, after the Exodus, all throughout the New Testament, all the way through the New Testament period, and even up to the present day, God has always given pastors to the church, to the people of God. And the fundamental calling of these pastors set apart from this task is to watch over souls, to watch over the souls of those entrusted to their care, and to watch over them as though they themselves will give an account to God himself for their ministry. This morning, our sermon text comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and then 17 to 19. And I'll just say before I read this text that this is a fundamental passage for me in terms of how I understand and have come to understand and God willing will continue to understand my calling as a pastor, this vocation that God has given me in this life. It's a bedrock passage for me in terms of the way that it describes the Christian ministry. And I hope that it will be helpful for you as well, that you, as we go through it this morning, will see it also as a kind of blueprint, a kind of guide for what pastors are actually for. What's the point of pastors? This passage gives us some very helpful answers to that question. Listen now to God's holy and inerrant word. It's printed also for you on the back of your order of worship, if you'd like to read along there. The apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, and he says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Thus far, the reading of God's word, it is absolutely true, and it is given to you because your Father in heaven loves you. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all the holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us now by your Spirit to hear this portion of your word, and to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest these words, that we might even more hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in your eternal Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our current 
moment is a challenging time, I think, to be a pastor, at least in um, the West and in this nation. Um, Just to give you one example of a million that I probably could cite, in 2021, the religious group Barna uh, reported that in the past year, uh, 38% of American pastors that they surveyed had seriously considered leaving the pastoral ministry in the previous 12 months. That is to say, well over a third of pastors currently serving in the year 2021 in America gave serious consideration not just about leaving their current call, the church that they were serving, but leaving the ministry entirely, giving up their ordination, doing something entirely different with their lives. Over, well over a third seriously considered that in the span of 12 months. I think one of the primary challenges of being called as a pastor in the present moment is that there is a lot of confusion out there, both for parishioners and for pastors, about what it is that pastors are for and what they're supposed to be doing, what their calling actually is. And again, this isn't just people in the pew. I think this is true for pastors too. Are pastors therapists? Maybe. We might get that impression. Maybe they're social workers, right? Maybe they're movement leaders. Uh, Vision casters, that's a thing, right? Pastors are, I guess. CEOs of religious institutions. Inspirational speakers. Managers. Political activists. Spiritual gurus with compelling social media accounts. In the midst of all of these confusion that I think, and for the record, I don't think pastors are any of those things, just to be clear, but I think they are commonly assumed roles that pastors feel pressure to play in different ways and embrace to their own detriment in our culture. In the midst of all this confusion, the apostle to the Hebrews has a few words to say as he moves to the end of chapter 13, the end of his letter to the church. And in this short passage, the apostle is presenting, I think, a compelling vision of what pastors are for. First, he argues that pastors are those who fundamentally declare the word of God to the people of God. Secondly, he argues that pastors are those whose lives are known by the flock that they serve in order that their faith might be imitated by those who know them and are under their care. And thirdly, he argues that pastors are those who keep watch over souls, over the souls of the people of God who have been entrusted to their care, and that they do so as those who will one day give an account to the great shepherd, our Lord Jesus. And of course, the apostle is not just speaking to pastors here, he's also speaking to lay people. Beloved, the scriptures are giving you in this short passage a a kind of vision for what to look for in a faithful pastor, what to expect, what to desire. They're telling you that a faithful pastor is a man who declares to you the word of God and sees that as the fundamental nature of his calling. A faithful pastor is a man whose life is known to you and whose faith is worthy of your imitation. And finally, a faithful pastor is a man 
embraces willingly the responsibility of keeping watch over your soul, guarding your soul. Let's walk through these points one by one as they are laid out for us in the text. In verse 7, the apostle begins by writing, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Here the the scriptures are laying out for us a, a basic job description for pastors in terms of what they're supposed to do with all that time, right? Um, between, uh, you know, Monday and, and, and Sunday. Pastors, according to, the scripture, according to the scriptures as a whole, according to the apostles here, are those who are fundamentally called to declare the word of God to those under their care. That's who they are. That's how you identify them. Remember, Paul writes to Timothy. He talks about the ministry in similar ways. He tells him, devote yourself to the public reading of the scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. And then in 2 Timothy, he says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and by his kingdom. Right? Paul's serious. What does he charge him with? He says, I charge you with this, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. As a pastor, I just want to say how grateful I am for the simplicity of this definition of the pastor's work that the apostle gives here, that a pastor is not all of those other things that I mentioned earlier, but he is actually fundamentally one who speaks the word of God to those under his care. That's who he is. That's what he does. And even more than that, I'm grateful um, to serve a congregation that actually wants me to do this, this kind of simple but profound work. That is, as you may know, not in any way the case in the broader Christian landscape that we find ourselves in today. Many congregations want their pastors to do lots of other things besides declare the word of God to them. But I have been grateful and Fortunate, blessed by the Lord um, to have been serving churches for the last 14 years since my ordination in 2008 that call me to do this. And that's what I do. I want you to know that. If you've wondered, like, what, do I, what does Josh do? Um, this, this is like the main thing that I do. I speak God's word to those who are in crisis or in need, um, who come into my office and sit on my couch Um, that's what I'm doing with them. I'm speaking the word of God to the people, the many pastoral appointments I have each week. Um, To be clear, when people do that, when they come into my study and sit on my couch and we talk, I don't solve their problems. Um, If you come and talk to me, I will not do that. I will not solve your problem for you. Um, But that's not my job, actually. Um, My job is to speak God's word to you into the situation in which you find yourself. Um, That's what I seek to do. As a pastor, I recite and pray and read God's word um, for an hour each Wednesday and Friday morning at 9 a.m. and would love for you to come and do that with me. It's a great blessing. As a pastor, I read and discuss and teach God's word in the Bible study that I've led for eight years now on Thursday mornings. As a pastor, I teach Uh, the scriptures, and sometimes really explicitly going through a book, and other times more um, just as a support for whatever we're doing in Sunday school. But I'm teaching the scriptures always. 
As a pastor, I'm constantly meditating on different, all different parts of God's words as I select different parts of it to use for our call to worship or our readings or our prayers or all the different parts of the elements of the order of worship which I put together every week as a central part of my pastoral task. And of course, the culmination of my work as a pastor is when I do this, when I declare God's word to you in the gathered assembly on Sunday mornings in the weekly sermon. And, and, and all of this emphasis on my ministry, on speaking, declaring God's word, means that I'm, I'm constantly at my desk in my study with my Bible open. I have an awesome Bible. I invested in it a couple years ago, and I use it like constantly, right? I'm wrestling and studying with the scriptures. That's what I do with my hours. Every week, I'm in different portions of the scriptures. Old Testament, Psalms, New Testament, Gospels, all over the place. Reading commentaries, thinking about how different passages work together, considering the meaning of this text or that one. And, and, and I want you to know, beloved, that I don't see myself to be called to be an expert on anything but this, the scriptures. That's supposed to be my area of expertise, right? Not science or medicine or politics or whatever it might be. The scriptures, that's where I'm actually called to be an expert. Um, and, and my studying um, and preaching and teaching of the scriptures is a task that I want you to know that I take with uh, a lot of solemnity and intention um, because I see it as the primary thing that I'm supposed to do for you on your behalf is know the scriptures and present them to you. And I just have to say how grateful I am that I get to do this. Like, I get set apart for this work, um, to know the scriptures and to teach them. Fourteen years ago, when I was ordained, I knew the scriptures on some level. Um, I knew them um, like a grad student who had just graduated seminary, you know, which is what I was. Um, but still, I knew them kind of at a distance, at an arm's length. Now, 14 years later, I'm starting to know them in a different way, a very different way. I'm beginning to know now the scriptures as a farmer knows the field, right? As a captain knows the sea, as a man even knows his wife. And what a blessing that is to dwell with the scriptures in that way each day. And I have to say that I can't really imagine a finer way to spend the rest of my life than to grow as much as I possibly can in my knowledge of God's word so that I might speak it faithfully um, as faithfully as I can um, to the people of God that the Lord gives me to care for. That's what I want to do, because I think that's what the pastor does. And it's a good way to spend your life. In verse 7, the apostle then goes on to give more definition to the pastoral calling. He goes on to write, he says, consider the outcome of their, that is your pastor's, way of life and imitate their faith. What the apostle is saying here is that the moral character, the, the holiness of life and personal faith of a pastor is an essential part of the ministry that he is to provide for the people of God. It's an important distinction. It's not just a qualification for the ministry that he does. It's a part of the ministry. His life, all of his life is an essential part, not just a qualification to be a pastor or to stay a pastor, but of the ministry itself. Aside from being the person in the church who is charged in a particular way with declaring the word of God to the people of God, the pastor is also meant to be a living witness in his manner of life to the blessedness that is promised and given to those who set their hopes on God and persist in their faith in Jesus Christ, 
his son. The pastors are meant to be a gift to their congregations in this way. Paul exhorts Timothy regarding the pastoral ministry is called to, and he says, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. About a decade ago, a fellow pastor said to me in a conversation, he said, your congregation is going to want you to be a lot of different things, and you're going to be tempted to do a lot of different things and play all kinds of roles, but what your people need above everything else is for you to be a holy man. That's what they need, for you to be a holy man. And ever since then, that statement has both haunted me and also served as a kind of framework for how I understand my life and ministry. You see, as a pastor, there's no part of my life that is truly private in any fundamental way. That's just part of the deal if you're going to be a pastor. There's no part of my life that's, that's purely my own, that doesn't belong in some way to the church. All of it is a part of my calling. All of it is part of my ministry. How I spend my money matters. What I do with my free time matters. How I speak to my wife and children matters deeply. How I conduct myself at parties matters. How quick I am to confess my sin and ask forgiveness of those I wrong matters. How hard I work matters. How I respond to people who are unkind to me matters. How I drive on the highways in this crazy metroplex matters. Right? How I speak matters. Every word I say. How I practice hospitality whether I'm gentle or not, matters. All of these things are not just qualifications for a ministry, but a fundamental part of it. And of course, as I examine my life and compare it to the law of God or to the example of our Lord Jesus Christ that I read in the Gospels, I find a million ways that I fall short of that standard that's held out for me. But I do believe by God's grace and the persistent merciful activity of his Holy Spirit uh, through my union with Jesus, that I am slowly but surely becoming something more than I was, a more wise and holy and mature man than I was even five or 10 or 15 years ago. I'm thankful for that. And I want you to know um, that my desire, beloved, above all things is to be made just as holy as I possibly can be in this life. That's what I want more than anything else, even knowing that I will fall short, far short of the standard that the great shepherd holds out for me. But I also want you to know that, that I consider my, as I think about, um, that, I'm sorry, I also want you to know that as you consider my role as your pastor, one of the things that you should be paying attention to and, 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 and considering very seriously is the outcome of my way of life. That's what the text is saying. Consider the outcome of your pastor's way of life. And the apostle is encouraging you to imitate the faith in Jesus Christ that I hope you see me display in your midst. It's there for you as a gift from the Lord. This means that there is always a deeply personal and even intimate relationship between a pastor and his congregation. Inevitably, Organically, there will be a resemblance between the spiritual maturity of a pastor and the spiritual maturity of his congregation. 
inevitably, organically, the extent to which the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, inevitably, the, the extent to which those fruits of the Spirit characterize the life of the pastor will influence whether the same fruits of the Spirit are characteristic in the life of the congregation. This is how it works, people. It is just a spiritual principle that God has put at the life of his people. So choose for the love of your own souls, your pastors, carefully. It is an undeniable spiritual principle that pastors and who they are before God and before you will deeply over time influence who you become. In verse 17, the apostle gives a final key component of the pastoral calling. He says this, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Friends, this in the end is what it means to be a pastor. It means to keep watch over the souls of the men, women, and children um, that God has entrusted to your care. Knowing that on the last day, the Lord Jesus himself will require you to give an account to him of your care for them. On the flip side, beloved, you also should see this. This is what it means for you to have a pastor. This is why you need a pastor, at least one of the reasons. Because your pastor is the person whom God has set apart and entrusted in a specific way with the task of watching over your soul. That's what a pastor's for, fundamentally. And God takes it so seriously that he will hold that pastor to account for what he did with that responsibility. Now, on one level, this verse is, of course, somewhat terrifying um, for me and should be for any man who aspires to the Christian ministry. Um, to be clear, I believe what this verse says is literally true, right? This is not a metaphor. This is actually what will take place in history. On the last day, when our Lord Jesus returns in glory and raises the dead, all of humanity will stand before him to give an account of their lives, what they did in the body, whether good or evil, as the apostle teaches, as Jesus himself taught on many occasions. And as a pastor, I will be required to give a particular account to the Lord Jesus for how I kept watch over the souls under my care. And that is a fearful and solemn thing for me to consider. And I would be a fool if I did not take it seriously. But this passage is not only somewhat you know, sobering. It's also remarkably clarifying and actually freeing for me as a pastor. Because, beloved, what this passage means is that it is not my responsibility to help you solve all the problems that you have in your lives or that you think you might have. It's not my calling in any fundamental way to unlock for you the secrets of you know, better communication in your marriage, for example. There are people that are good at that. You should talk to them. It's not um, my uh, responsibility fundamentally to help you manage your anxiety better or cope with the things in your life that are difficult or to give you, um, you know, better parenting skills or to solve your frustrations at work 
or to help you manage your money more wisely. Those are all good things to do, but they're not my fundamental responsibility. It's not even my calling to help you become happy or fulfilled, at least not as far as the ways in which we use the words happy and fulfilled typically in our culture. If we want to talk about what Jesus means by happy, yeah, let's do that. No, my calling above all things, friends, as your pastor, is to keep watch over your souls. That's what I'm here for. And and I cannot tell you how many times I've sat in my study with someone under my pastoral care, and I've said to them in in, in so many words just this. I've said basically, friend, what I need for you to do just for a second is to stop thinking primarily about your happiness or your desires or your frustrations or your complaints and just consider for a moment what this or that decision or continuing in this or that behavior might mean for your soul. Because that's my calling as a pastor, is to help people remember that they actually possess eternal souls. And that what matters more than anything in their lives is not actually any particular experience in the 80 or 100 years that we get in this life. But whether their souls are kept safe for God. And for the eternity that stretches before them. That's what I'm here for. To help people remember that they have souls. And that those souls are precious in the sight of God. That his son spilled his blood. That they might be delivered from death. What I mean, beloved, is that I understand my primary calling as a pastor. Is to ensure the people under my care are as prepared as they can be. For the day of the Lord. For that blessed day when our Lord Jesus will indeed come in glory to judge both the living and the dead. And it is in this context particularly, I mean this also has to do with preaching and other teachings of the scriptures. But it is in this context of this kind of soul care that Christian people are called specifically to obey and submit to their pastor. To listen carefully and heed wisely the counsel and words of their pastor when he is exercising intentional care for their souls. Particularly when he is warning them against something they must not do or may not do. Or exhorting them to embrace something that they must do. Because that is what pastors do. That is what they're for. They keep watch over souls. They help men and women and children get ready for Judgment Day. They take the trouble to remind people that there is a Judgment Day and that it is coming. I love the way that the Apostle concludes this passage. As a pastor, he says to this congregation some of the most intimate words I can imagine. He says in verses 18 to 19, Pray for us. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Pray for us, the apostle says, the pastor says. Do this earnestly, he says. 
And beloved, beyond making sure that my family is well provided for and our earthly needs are taken care of, this is how you can love me best as your pastor. You can pray for me. Really, just pray for me. Just Don't just say you'll do it, but do it. I am not in any way sufficient for this almost absurdly high and difficult calling of serving as your pastor. It's a little crazy. And so I depend on you, like actually depend on you, to intercede with God on my behalf. I depend on that. Pray for me, please, at your dinner tables, in your family devotions, in your living rooms, in your morning and evening prayers, in your commute to and from work. Remember me in your prayers, please, please. Pray that the Lord would protect me from the evil one. That he would keep me from temptation. Pray that God would keep my body physically healthy so I can serve you. Pray that the Lord would watch over my marriage. That he would protect and guard and defend and bless my wife and children. For they also are a part of this calling. Pray most of all that the Lord Jesus himself would strengthen and lead me to spend and be spent for the sake of the gospel. And that he would make me a holy and loving servant and faithful shepherd of the flock for whom he has shed his most precious blood. Pray that for me, please. And in this way, God and his kindness, he will do what he's promised to do. He will make us holy together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for pastors, for all those called into this ministry. I pray, Lord, that you would guard and protect not only myself, but any of the pastors who would serve this church at the present time or in the future. You would keep us faithful, Lord. Um, that we might be a blessing to your people. And I pray that this congregation would always desire uh, for themselves pastors um, who will speak to them the word of God, who will live um, a life before them uh, worthy of imitation, um, who will um, keep watch faithfully over their souls. May it ever be so. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.